Welcome to Storytime with Managers, a podcast micro-series by Cohere. Hi, I'm Jennifer Tu, and I'm here with Raquel Velez, uh, who I really know as Rockbot, to talk about what it's like going from managing in a small startup to a medium-largish company. Uh, Raquel, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm an engineering manager, um, and I have been working as an engineering manager for gosh, almost three years, I guess, at this point. Um, And I started out as an IC. I was a a JavaScript developer who ended up doing a bunch of Node. And then uh, I really found my my happy place in terms of like thinking more about um, the systems of people as opposed to the systems of code. And and I just really liked that a lot more and and found myself in management and, uh, and, and basically just started, you know, working my way up through, through, you know, all of those fun challenges. Um, my entire career up until the company I currently work at uh, has been at really tiny startups. So it was like 40 people or less. And then um, I made the jump to my current company where I, I joke that I was like employee number like 998 or something like that because like I wanted to move to a company that was between 500 and 1,000. Um, and so like I was successful at that moment. Um, <laughs> but then very quickly, it grew more and more. And in fact, it's now like over 1500 people. Um, and uh, so it's been like, it's been really a fascinating jump from the super tiny to like, in my world, super huge, but it's not like, you know, a massive, massive enterprise company with that has like, thou- tens of 1000s of people, you know, so like, um, while I can't speak to that, that level, um, the, the jump from 40 to like 1500 is, is really quite, quite stark. And, um, and, and so that's, that's, you know, I think that's what we want to talk about today. There's, there's probably more teams at your current place than there were people at your last place. Oh my gosh. Yeah, probably. Almost certainly. Almost certainly. I mean, I think certainly in terms of like, even just, if we only look at the engineering side of it, like, um, at my last company I was managing at my peak. I want to say like nine, maybe 10 engineers. There are definitely more than nine or 10 engineering teams um, at my current company. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's pretty intense. Yeah. Um, how about in terms of the number of people you're managing? Like, has that translated well? Are you still managing nine or 10 people or? So I consider myself ridiculously lucky right now um, in that I currently have six reports, which is just like, what? Oh my gosh, this is so nice. Um, Though I will say that uh, at my peak, I had 12 and that was just like untenable. I don't, I mean, I I know that there are people who manage like 25 people, but it's just like, I don't know how anybody does that and does it effectively. Um, So I, I had 12, then we had a reorg, which um, let me just throw that out there one of the things that changed a lot for me was experiencing the reorg. And like, I guess like in small companies, you, you have reorgs, but they're so, it's such a small company that like the reorg is, well, we've decided that instead of having these two teams that are separate, um, like working on like pretty similar things, we're going to go ahead and merge them. And it's like from two teams of five into one team of 10, right? And it's like, okay, whatever. Or like, maybe it's the opposite. Like we're going to separate these two, this one team of 10 and turn it into two teams of five. Cause the, there's a better, you know, uh, 
delineated, like a better delineation between those two. Um, Here, it's like, okay, we're doing a reorg. And it's like, all of a sudden, uh, a bunch of people are getting moved across multiple teams. Maybe you're going from four teams to five or three teams to four, or maybe you're sticking with four teams, but now they're all defined differently. And, um, and you, there's like a much more human element to it where you have to be like, okay, well, you know, how are people going to react to all of this change? Cause it's not just your role is changing. It's like everybody, you know, their roles are changing in some way. Um, and, and so that's been really interesting as well. Yeah. When you experience a reorg in a larger or smaller organization, are there things that you can do the same uh, in your approach to that as an engineering manager or things that you have to do differently? Um, I think that the things that like I've, I've done the same is just being a good people manager. Like I think, I think being a, a good people manager is necessary regardless because people don't change when the, when the size of the organization changes, people are still human, right? Like, um, you don't go from being a human to a robot. Uh, <laughs> so, so making sure that people still feel like they're part of something bigger is really important. One thing that did change um, is I needed to be much more explicit about what our new roles were. So in the most, in like, in a recent reorg, I actually got to spin up a brand new team, which was super exciting for me. Um, and it allowed me to kind of really help like dictate what are we doing? What's our purpose? Um, and I had a new product manager and so she and I both worked together to identify like, what's the vision for this team? What's the mission of this team? How are we going to like, what are our focus areas? And, um, and like we wrote things down a lot. There's a lot more writing, I think, because the teams are larger and it's not just, in, in this case, it's not just you focusing on your individual team. You're you're writing that document to um, to share with the other engineering managers and the other teams in your like larger organization. So like my peer engineering managers, which I never had a peer engineering manager at my previous company, um, they need to know what is it that my team is focusing on because I think. Um, it's it's important to know about like lanes, you know, like there's that, that saying like um, good fences make good neighbors or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, and so knowing what, where the, the fences are enables you to be really explicit about saying, Hey, I need help. I need you to come into my lane and, and give me, give me a boost or, Hey, I see you're struggling. I'm going to go into your lane and take stuff off of your plate. And I, th- I see that as like the most helpful thing as opposed to like, some people are like, Oh, I hate the idea of like, so much structure because then it really limits how much I can do. And I don't see it that way. I see it as um, it really enables the way that I can really work with my peers um, in the most effective way and be the best teammate that I can be. Yeah. It's almost like you're going from working alone to working in a team because you have all all of these peers around you. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was actually a huge component for me. At, At my last company, I was the only engineering manager. Um, and I reported directly to the CTO, right? So like, it's like, it's, it's really hard because, um, you don't really know how to grow. And I, I, there were moments when I said, I would ask my manager and even my CEO, like, Hey, how do I grow to the next level? And in a startup, sometimes the people who are in charge, they're just as new to this whole leadership thing as you are. 
um, or maybe they're newer or maybe they're more experienced. And if, if they are more experienced, you're really lucky, but like, you know, working in the Valley, it, it can be a little bit difficult. Um, but, uh, and so they were like, we have actually no idea. Um, and, and it was really frustrating for me because I had the, the feedback I got from, from one of them was, well, why don't you define what your career or what, what your new job description would be? And then let's work towards that. And I'm like, that's a great idea in theory, except in practice, I have no idea what the next level looks like. I don't know how to put it into words, like much less like vi- visualize it, right? Like, cause I've never seen anybody at that level before. I couldn't tell you what a director does compared to an engineering manager. Um, I remember, I remember the CTO once said like, you know, being a, being a, a middle manager is so hard. And I thought that meant, well, I am a middle manager cause I'm between my, like the, the C team, the executives and the IC. So therefore I am in the middle, <laughs> which I mean, that makes sense to me. It makes sense. But then when you come to a larger organization, you realize that middle management is actually the, the, like it's the Oreo cream between management, like cookies, right? So like the director mm-hmm. is middle management. I'm what would be considered a line manager because I'm right next to the ICs. Um, yeah. So, but I didn't know that. I like, like I said, my entire career was startups, so I had no context for that. And so when they were like, "Hey, why don't you just write your own job description?" I'm like, "I don't know what that's supposed to look like. I've never met a director. I don't even know, like, you know." So it was just impossible. And so I, um, I knew that the next stage of my growth was going to be going to a bigger company where there were other engineering managers, first of all, so that I could like compare notes with my peers and see. And like, just have like a gauge by which I could tell like, okay, where am I succeeding and where do I need to improve? Um, and then also having a manager and having my manager have a manager and then having my, that manager have yet another manager and like seeing the growth potential. So I could see, oh, okay. And it turns out I wasn't ready for being a director because it turns out a director does a very, very different role than a line manager. What I needed to do was grow to the next level of line manager. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's the goal now, as opposed to like, well, yeah, I want to be a director or I want to be a VP, like, whoa, hold up. Like I've completely reset my expectations of what, um, what my, what my career path looks like. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to dig into one little part of this, which was you, you mentioned that there are lanes that a line manager, uh, should expect to be in, uh, Mm -hmm. because you have all of these peers around you and you don't want to be bumping up into their space. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of curious how you how you find your lane, how mm-hmm. you um and then how you learn to collaborate with the with your peer managers around you. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So um one of the things that so there's like there's different types of lanes. Um, one is uh lanes between other engineering managers. So ad- identifying like what are the different like what are the boundaries between what your team works on versus another engineering team? Um, and then another, another series of lanes are like between engineering and like the other parts of the org. So like product and design and, and things like that. Um, Let's focus on the first one, if that's okay. Sure. Yeah, totally. So focusing just on engineering managers, um, I think there's a lot of different ways that you could do it. And I think it really depends on the type of company that you're at. Um, and, um, so like 
there are companies that are like product driven companies, and then there are companies that are like design driven companies or engineering driven or whatever. And so I think that like that will kind of help define it. The way that my larger team has decided to define the lanes, which is actually kind of difficult, is we've tried to focus on service boundaries. So if we take our, our code base and break it down into the different um, components or services that make up our larger section of the code base, then we can say, okay, well, team A focuses on these three services and team B focuses on these other services. And so you can kind of be like, all right, cool. So if I'm in charge of these three aspects, um, then like it's easier because you can just be like, okay, so when something's broken, we will fix it. And like, that's like one way of like thinking about it. Or like, as we build product, we're going to be focusing on these aspects of the product or whatever. So like you can do it in terms of engineering components. You can do it in in terms of product components. Um, where we're at at my current company, it's it's a very product driven company, but the engineering side of it, we're trying to divide it into engineering components. Um, and so what happens is you actually have a lot of overlap because let's say for example, um, I'm going to do a really really high level example, but let's say you have um, instead of like a front end team and a back end team, let's say you've got like um, a billing team versus like the app experience team, right? Yeah, and, that makes sense. Um, from an engineering component perspective, you might say, okay, the way we're going to divvy this up is front end versus back end. And then there are going to be times when the front end has to talk to the back end and it's like, okay, well, who owns that, that component, like the interface, right? Like the APIs between um, the React and like some sort of like back end or whatever, or maybe like there's databases or something like that. Um, so that's one engineering way of, of breaking it down, or you can break it down from by a product perspective. So billing versus the app experience. Um, but then in that case, your engineering is going to be split up across it as well. You'll have front ends and back ends on both sides of those. And then now you need to figure out, okay, so what are the components of the, of the application that just focus on billing versus just focus on experience? But of course there's going to be overlap. And so that's kind of like the boundary line. And you can say, okay, well, if we need to talk about the experience of the billing, <laughs> then what does that look like? And, and so that's kind of your opportunity to really interface with your peer managers and say, okay, look, I'm about to go into your lane, or um, I see that you don't have any bandwidth to tackle this, so why don't we take it? And, um, and then like, I'll keep you abreast of how things are going. Does that, hopefully that, that makes sense and yeah. answers your question. No, no, it does. Cool. Um, and it just makes me wonder next, how do you coordinate with your peer managers? Mm-hmm. How do you know which peer managers you need to be coordinating with? Um, what happens if you find there's one you haven't been coordinating with? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the, the most important thing is just to be really authentic and human. Um, there are going to be moments where you're like, okay, I'm convinced that this is my thing and I'm just going to go for it. And, um, and so like on some level you might be like, okay, Hey, um, like, so you might, you might've built it. And then you find out later, like after you shipped it, um, maybe like there's a customer complaint and the bug goes to the other team and you didn't even know that that other team found it or like what even existed. Um, and then, you know, the engineering manager might be like, Hey, uh, I looked in the org chart and I found out that your engineer worked on this thing. Like, cause you can see like the commit logs. Right. And you can see like everything on, in GitHub, but then 
you might be like, wait, who is this engineer? How did they get this stuff? Like, like, where did this come from? And then they might reach out to you as the engineering manager and be like, hey, what the heck? Um, and in that case, you might, you know, apologize and go, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Uh, I didn't realize that this was part of your components as well. And this is, this is an opportunity for us to start talking through who owns what, what are the boundaries, and like really just start to define that because maybe it just wasn't defined before. Um, in terms of, uh, now, if you know the boundaries, if you know who owns what pieces, and I mean, basically you can look at that via um, whatever tracking tool you use, or maybe it's just a spreadsheet or who knows, um, then you can kind of give them a heads up and you can say, hey, um, so like, I really, really value tech specs and product specs because it gives you, again, a written documentation of like what you plan to do. And then you can go in and talk with people and say, hey, here's our plan. Um, and, um, if you want to go the extra mile, you can even say, Hey, we're planning on doing this thing super high level. We haven't even started to do any engineering exploration, but I want to just see, I want to get your buy-in on this, see if they're, if you're already doing stuff like this. I mean, the more that you can develop a network across all of the various peers that you have, um, the better you can start to like have those super early conversations and just be like, Hey, um, you know, for example, in this like billing versus app experience situation, you could be like, hey, so we realize that international um, users are having difficulty um, with the billing. You know, do you think your team can, ta can tackle this, this piece of it? Or is that even on your roadmap or what? Do you mind if we take it or whatever? Like, so having that network and building that, um, that trust across multiple managers is, is I think really key to, to really making an impact. The only tricky bit is that in a larger organization, there are more managers and there are more peers. So the time it takes for you to build that network is much longer, um, which then ultimately results in a lot more apologies. But I like to see those apologies as like opportunities for like instant networking yeah. <laughs> and be like, Oh my gosh, I'm it's so sorry. Time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so Learning to navigate the organizational structure and learning to, to network across your peers sounds like this really critical and also new skill that you have to develop when you move from no peer managers to having peer managers. Are there, yeah. are, are there any like ways to start? Like if you could go back in time and to, to your first week, uh, or mm. is there a time or an action you, you could do to have made that easier for yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, well, easier for myself, maybe in hindsight, you could you could make the argument of like, okay, if you write all of your stuff down <laughs> and share it regularly, you'll be better off. Um, but that's a little bit harder because you haven't really, you might not have that muscle ready yet, right? It's almost like trying to tell somebody who's been, um, uh, like if, if you try to tell somebody who's like a, a runner, like, Hey, I need you to swim 10 miles. Like they're going to be like, I mean, I could probably do it, but it'd be really hard. And I'm not trained on how to do that effectively. And so, oh, or, or, or like telling a very a brand new developer to comment their code. Yeah, exactly. It, it Exactly. That's exactly right. And so it's just like, oof, like, yes, ideally, say everything. But the problem is you don't know what it is that you need to say and what you need to hold back on. Because it actually turns out that the more you, like what I've learned is that 
it's not enough to just say everything that's on your mind. That's actually too much information. And so you need to like reduce some of that because um, sometimes people perceive too much information as like reasons to get anxious. Like, oh my gosh, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know, you don't have any focus. You're waffling or whatever. It, it comes across that way. Even if you're not waffling, maybe like, but like sometimes what you need to do is you need to say, okay, here's my plan. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. This is the time frame in which it's going to get done. Um, and this is how you're going to know when we're successful, right? And it's just like learning how to focus your your intent um, and deliver the message to the right people is something that it's just it just takes time to learn, like how to write a good comment, right? Like, I mean, how many times did we ever write comments that were like, this function adds two numbers or like, um, or adds A plus variable. B or whatever. Right? Exactly. A plus B. Yes. Yes, yeah, exactly. exactly. And you're just like, and like, oh. any of us who've been doing uh, development for multiple years, we look at that and go, oh man, I used to make that mistake. And that was maybe not the most useful way of like handling that, right? And, and so it's the same thing. Um, learning the mechanics of communication and keeping people on the same page um, and like learning how to manage up and manage sideways um, is, is a whole interesting sort of thing. I think actually, I, th I think we could summarize it as learning to manage sideways because I've never really had to do that before. Yeah. Um, and being really, really uh, deliberative about your communication. Was it was it possible for you to find, I don't know, allies or mentors or people to help you learn how to navigate uh, this enormous organizational structure? Or did you mostly have to try things and, and learn through that uh, feedback from your peer managers that it wasn't working? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it was a little bit of both. Um, I, I felt like I could trust my my manager uh, pretty easily from the get-go. And I was able to be like, okay, hey, I don't know how to do this thing. What do I need to do? Um, and he would give me a little bit of like advice, like, hey, try these things, try those things. Because sometimes I think when you know zero, it's hard to even experiment because um, you don't even know what to do. Um, and then getting feedback just kind of hones in on some of that. I, I feel really fortunate. Like, so when I was interviewing for my next like for this current position, I talked to a lot of different people and a lot of different companies. And I tried really hard to talk to some of the people that I knew I was going to be on the team with. And I just try to gauge like, what's our rapport between me and like my potential peer managers? Like, cause this is going to be somebody I'm going to be working with a lot. Um, and in many ways, they're your team, right? Like there's this notion I had never heard of before until I got here um, of like your first, first team. Quote yeah. Unquote. Yeah. And like, I was like, what is that? And like, to me, I was always, my team was always the engineers who reported to me plus me. Um, and, and the first team is actually who are the people that your manager, like you all have the same manager. And so like, turns out my first team is actually my peer managers. They're my teammates. And so in the same way that like, as an IC, you might like apply to a company and like interview with people who are going to be on your team, like you want to get a sense of like who those people are going to be. Um, and I have the same situation with like, I think it's important to do the same thing when you've got other engineering managers who are going to be on your team, like get to know who, the, who are they going to be? Are they going to be antagonistic? Are they going to be super helpful? Are they um, like, 
I feel really fortunate because I feel like my peers, it feels like I'm in a study group all the time. And, and I mean that in like the most positive way possible. Like I remember in college, really supportive. it's super supportive. Like I, I had to learn things like promo packets. Are you kidding? Like I'd never heard of a promo packet before. To me, when you knew an engineer was ready to be promoted, you would go into the CTO's office, you'd knock on the door and be like, hey, so-and-so is doing a really awesome job. And they'd be like, yeah, I know. I've been noticing it because you know they're like one step away and they see all the work that that person is doing too. And you're like, I think it's time for them to get promoted. And they're like, yeah, I totally agree. You're like, cool, let's make it happen. And like the end, um, <laughs> in a larger organization, like there's a process and you have to like put together a packet to, for an, a, an anonymous committee to review at the same time as everybody else. And like, like they go in and they like, you have to give written, a written testimony for why this person is ready to move on to the next level. And like, like there's like a written component and like a structural component making sure that like, you've got all the evidence and like, honestly, you don't get multiple opportunities to do this in like a single promotion round. You get to do it like you do it the first time. And then if they say no, you have an, a potential opportunity to appeal. Um, and if you don't win the appeal, like that's it, like your, your person does not get promoted. Like you, you don't like, it, it, it's almost like, oh my gosh. And so to prepare for that, I get, I got to lean on my peer managers and like, we would every single day at lunch for the two weeks before promo packets were due, we would sit together and we'd go over promo packets and we'd review them together and be like, Hey, the wording of this is super vague or, Hey, I don't know that this project really showcases what you want it to or whatever, blah, 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 blah. blah. And so I feel really, really fortunate in that, in that perspective to have that kind of team. Um, yeah. Otherwise, I don't know that I would have been as successful. <laughs> yeah. That, then suddenly, in addition to not having a promo packet pass, now you've got a retention issue you have to address. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. Exactly. I'm glad you've got that study group. I know. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, we're definitely out of time. But I, I want to ask you like one last thing. Do it. Do which it. is, okay, um, if you could give yourself one piece of advice or give someone else in the same situation of going from solo line manager to be trying to move into a space with peer managers, mm -hmm. what advice would you give? Ooh, let's see. I think the most important thing would be to really understand, like, like learn how to ask for help and learn and try to understand, like almost treat each person that is your peer as somebody who reports to you in terms of the, like getting to know them as a human, um, actually scratch that. I'm going to, I'm going to rephrase, get to know them as humans, know who, who you're working with in the same way that you would have as an IC, like get to know the strengths and weaknesses of the people on your team and then harness that as an opportunity to, to give help and get help because you're a team and the success of your people is dependent on like is, is dependent on how well you can support them. And the more support that you have to support them, the more they will feel supported and then they will grow. And your job as a manager is to help your people grow and help them do great things. Um, and like, you know, as part of the larger mission of helping your company do great things. And so if you have that support network within your first team, um, like there's nothing that will stop you if that makes sense it does cool all right thank you <laughs> thank you so much for sharing everything you've been learning about going from 
tiny startups to or small startups to medium largish uh, companies. Yeah, you're um, welcome. <laughs> if people want to uh, talk with you more about engineering or management, uh, where's a good place for them to reach you? Um, totally feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. Um, I'm at Rockbot, R-O-C-K-B-O-T. And um, I mean, I have a, a blog, which is uh, at RaquelVelas.com. Um, and, you know, there's my, you can find my contact information on there uh, to email me if you really want to. So, yeah. All right. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Storytime with Managers by Cohere. Our theme music is by Kevin McLeod and we are edited by Bryant from Sync. If you liked this episode and want to hear more, tell us on Twitter. We are at WeCohere.